Alrighty, now, if I was asked to ask you a question, uh, what event in the Old Testament uh, was the greatest display of God's power and his glory among his people? So to, to, to put it in a, another way, which event really displayed would be you know, pivotal and, and front and centre in the minds of um, Israel in remembering who God is and just how big he is? And how worthy he is to be trusted. What what event do you think it would be in the Old Testament that would the Red Sea? Indeed. So we cre- the creation is definitely big, um, but I suppose God's people weren't there when that happened. Um, but where they were uh, and saw God powerfully at work uh, was the Red Sea, and what was leading up to that. So open up to the book of Exodus. We're going to spend um, a fair bit of a time in the book of Exodus uh, this morning. Okay, so the plagues, the ten plagues, the, uh, the Passover uh, and the crossing of the Red Sea and the destruction of Pharaoh's army uh, all took place in front of the eyes of uh, God's people. Um, And with the destruction of Pharaoh's army, um, what Israel saw was an undeniable display of the bigness and the sovereignty of God and the fact that he has no competitors, no competitors whatsoever. Um, So when it comes to other gods or people or kingdoms that oppose him, he reigns. He is sovereign. He is control, in control. And it doesn't matter what other people say, what other kingdoms say, what other demons say, what Satan says. God is sovereign. He is control. He is big. Another question for you. Um, with the Exodus, uh, the plagues, the Passover, the Exodus through Uh, the Red Sea and the destruction of uh, Pharaoh's army. What was this foreshadowing, um, particularly for us as New Testament believers, what was this foreshadowing as this was all unfolding before the the eyes of Israel? um, What was this foreshadowing for a, a future time in history? It was in fact Jesus coming to earth as the Passover lamb and this miraculous thing of God's people being set free from slavery okay, in front of a watching army, the destruction of, of God's enemies at, as it was lived out in Jesus' life, his death and his resurrection. Now, just a little side note. Um, when Pharaoh went out, you know, after you had the plagues and the Passover and they, they headed off to the Red Sea and, and the, the sea was parted and Pharaoh and his army were coming down to chase and recapture uh, God's people, did Pharaoh have his whole army there? Was there anyone missing from, from the army? Well, well, think about it. What happened... With the Passover, the, the firstborn were taken. Okay, and you know, I've read through the Bible a, a heap of times, and I've never seen this before that the firstborn sons 
wouldn't have been there. So imagine, imagine you've got Pharaoh who's just blinded by his own pride and, you know, lust for power and, and, and this, and he was blinded, you know, because they said to him, you know, our wealth is gone, our country is destroyed, you know, our wealth is gone, uh, we've lost our firstborn sons, you know, and now we're heading out to take on this God of Israel again. So, you know, how blind was Pharaoh? How blind was he? And you know, this is a powerful um, message or application for us today to see how uh, other things can get in the way of seeing the bigness of God. All right, we're in uh, Exodus chapter 3. Uh, if you'd just like to turn through to Exodus chapter 3, we're going to have a look at a few verses here in Exodus 3. And we're going to look at uh, verse 7 and 8, so read on with me. We're just going to move through and, and look at some, um, some verses here in, in Exodus. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the, the land, uh, that land, to a good and broad land. Just drop down to verse 9. It says, And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, that is God, but I will be with you. Okay. So as we have a look at those verses there, what are the descriptions that reveal God's awareness of his suffering? If you have a look back in, in verse 7 there, there's uh, three words there that really stand out. God says, I have seen, so with his eyes I have seen, I have heard uh, their cry, and I know. All right, so God knew exactly what they were going through. Um, he'd seen it, he'd heard it, he knew. So Today, as New Testament believers, we can cling to this rock-solid assurance that Jesus has seen our struggles, he sees our struggles, he hears our hearts, he knows what we're going through and what we're struggling with, and he knows them better than, than we know them. He knows us better than we know ourselves, and so he knows the situations and the struggles uh, that we are going through. And so how does he address uh, these people to Jesus? Uh, sorry, to, to Moses. How does he address them? He says, my people. They are my people in Egypt. Okay? And Moses, he responds, he, he sees that he is not capable for the job, okay, which is true. Okay, but what is God's reply to him? When, when, you know, Moses starts backpedaling and going, oh, you know, I, I, I'm not going to be able to do this. You know, fear is rising up in his heart. Pharaoh is looking really big. Um, and God reassures him. What does he say? He says, I will be with you. All right. And 
where do we hear those words in the New Testament today? You know, it's sort of foreshadowing again to what we, we read in, in Matthew 28 at the end there, where Jesus says, I will be with you to the end of the age. Okay, so we're going to leave chapter 3 there and turn forward to chapter 13 of Exodus. Chapter 13. So we've been looking at Moses for the burning bush before he heads off to Egypt. Now we're going to look at uh, just before the, uh, the crossing of the Red Sea, chapter 13, and verse 3. Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out of Egypt and out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. Okay, and the, you know the, the key word there is remember. Okay, this is something that needs to be etched into your hearts and minds that you remember this day because God is going to display his glory. He's going to display that he is bigger than all the gods of Egypt. He's going to show that he's bigger than anything that you are going through, bigger than any fear that you have. Okay. Have a look at, uh, move on to verse 9 of chapter 13. It says there, And it shall be, uh, be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes, that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth, for with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. Then drop down to verse 14. And when in time you come to your... Uh, and, sorry. And when in time to come to your son, your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand, the Lord has brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. And then drop down to verse 16. And it shall be a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes, for by a strong hand, the Lord has brought us out of Egypt. Okay, so three times there, God is, is uh, emphasising this. He's making a point, all right, that he is bigger than anything uh, you will face, any enemy, any situation, any issue that you are going through. He is bigger. And he says it three times. And why do you think he's, he's got to emphasise this three times? Why is he hammering it into them that it is by my strong hand? that I'm bringing you out of this place. Why is it that he's got to keep hammering this away? And the answer is because as God's people, we forget all too easily. All too easily, other things crowd into our minds, other things look bigger, and God seems to shrink and get smaller and fade away to the background. So Israel's problem is our problem. We too easily forget the bigness of God and other things People, situations seem to get bigger and bigger and God seems to shrink into the background. Alrighty, turn over to chapter 14, chapter 14 of Exodus, verses 1 through to 4. We'll have a read through there. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people, so this is just before uh, the uh, crossing, or yeah, the crossing the Red Sea, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of of uh, Pi Harioth 
between Migdol and the sea in front of Baal Zephon, and you shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land, the wilderness has shut them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. Okay, so God will display his glory over his enemies um, as he did there, and he will do that in his people's life. Okay, so God will use his enemies to display his glory. And God will display his glory before the demonic realm and in the midst of the lives of these God's people. So we do need to understand that we are in a, in a cosmic struggle. Uh, it is a war, but it is ultimately not about us, but in fact all about God. We're part of the story, but it's in fact all about God. Uh, and the uh, Israel at this time, okay, a lot of them didn't know what was going to happen. Okay, God had promised to take them through. Um, but we, as New Testament believers, having the New Testament and the Old Testament, we know who has won in these in these. Uh, these battles, and we know ultimately who will win. Okay, I, I think I've mentioned this uh, previously. You know, when you when you read through the book of Revelation, uh, it's been summed up: Jesus wins. So that's two words we can sum up the book of Revelation: Jesus wins. We know who will win. Back to chapter fourteen, and have a look at verse thirty-one. So the last verse there. It says, Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians so that the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Okay, so Israel saw God's power. They saw his victory. And the only proper response from there was a holy fear, a holy awe and a belief and trust in this God who delivered them and promises to continue to deliver them and lead them through into the promised land. It's interesting. Um, Paul, he sees this uh, Israel's march through the Red Sea as a baptism. So just hold your fingers there in Exodus and turn to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. First Corinthians chapter 10 and verses 1 and 2. So this is Paul, God speaking through Paul. I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptised into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So this is um, Paul you know, reinterpreting what happened in the light of of what Jesus has done, uh, their baptism. So how, how rich are we when we think about this? You know, we have the whole history of what happened with God's people in the Old Testament. 
We have the New Testament with the, the, the unfolding of, of the, the birth of the church. And we have the book of Revelation showing us the end game. You know, so no, no people in that sense are more blessed than us. We have God's word, his Old Testament, his New Testament. We know the end game. All right? And therefore, how much more uh, are we responsible and accountable to trust this God who is big and who has no competitors? But this fear of God and trust is something that we have to learn, isn't it? Okay, we learn together to fear and to trust, to believe in God as a community, as God's new covenant people. Okay, um, so if you think about it, you know we're walking through the wilderness in a sense, as the Old Testament believers were. We're walking through the wilderness on the way to the promised land. Okay, to God's kingdom fulfilled. All right, and it is something that we learn along the way. This 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 trust uh, is something that we have to learn together as a community, and that's why we're one of the reasons why we're here this morning. Chapter fifteen of Exodus. Let's have a look at verses one to three. There it says then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, "I will sing to the Lord, for He has triumphed gloriously." Gloriously, the horse and his rider has uh, he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise Him. My Father's God, and I will exalt Him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is His name. So here we have, um, you know, uh, Moses and. God's people worshipping God, okay, and in fact fulfilling the very reason they were created. Now, it takes maturity to worship God in the midst of conflict because it's easy to worship God when, you know, God, we've seen God do things in our lives and we, we praise Him and we thank Him as we should. But the hard thing is in our life, in our walk, is to be worshipping God and praising him and trusting him, okay, which is an act of worship and an act of obedience, in the midst of the conflict or the struggle that we're going through. Again, just keep your fingers there in uh, Exodus, but uh, turn with me to Job chapter 35. So just before the book of Psalms. Easy way to remember where Job is. He goes through the furnace and then comes out of it, and then we have this uh, 150 psalms of worship to God. So Job chapter 35. Job chapter 35, and verses 9 and 10 there. It says, Because of the multitude of oppressions, people cry out. They call for help because of the arm of the Almighty. But none says, where is my God, my maker, who gives songs in the night? Okay, so what we have there is Job revealing to us that, you know, in the night time when it's dark and when things are hard and we're, 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 we're tempted to forget that God is at work and things seem hard and difficult, 
God gives songs in the night. Okay, and that's, that's the time where we really need to hold on to God and cling to him. Turn over to Psalm 42, a similar idea here. So Psalm 42. Psalm 42 and verse 8. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. So his song is with me at night. And one more verse before we go back to Exodus is in Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. So here we have a, a time where it's very dark and would be a time to be depressed and that God seems small and that man seems really big. And what do we see Paul doing in Acts chapter 16, verse 25? They're in jail, okay, they've been hammered, they're sore, uh, they're chained and it would be a big temptation for God to look really, really small and for people to look really, really big. So verse 25 there, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And what are the prisoners around them doing? They're listening, watching, seeing these guys who, from their point of view, should be complaining and you know, beaten and defeated, and yet they're clinging to God they're trusting God. They know God is big, bigger than their situation, bigger than being in prison, bigger than the Roman Empire, and they're worshipping God. They're praying to God, and they're trusting God that God will come through no matter how big Rome looks, no, how, no matter how big this prison and this situation looks. They're praying and they're worshipping God, and people are watching on and saying, this God is bigger and they're, because they're seeing the trust and the faith of these guys. Okay, back to Exodus. Okay, so God is most glorified when we worship him and trust him, not when everything's going rosy and when everything's been solved, but in the midst of the conflict where we trust him and God, we're tempted to see God as small and our situation is really big. That is where God is most glorified. Anyone can be a fair weather Christian, okay? But that's where God is, is calling us when we're going through our difficulties and our struggles and our trials. That's where God is calling us and stretching us to grow and to trust Him and to see Him as big, even though we're tempted to see Him as small. All right, Exodus 15. Uh, and verse 13. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. Okay, so God loves his people and he will lead them to his home, to his holy abode, lead, him to, lead them to himself. And then Exodus, uh, if you just drop down to verses 17 and 18, you will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain and place 
O Lord, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which is uh, your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. So that's that's our destiny. That's where we're heading. That's what we have to keep front and center and see that God is is big. He will do it. Okay. One of, I, th- I think, the biggest question uh, facing us and probably one of the most central and dominating questions that the Bible asks of us is, who will you fear? Who will you fear? Because we're tempted daily uh, in all the situations we come across to fear things other than God. Fear people, people seem big, to fear situations, to fear governments, to, to fear anything else but God himself. I've been reading uh, through a book um, by a guy called Edward Welch. Uh, it's called When People Are Big and God is Small. And uh, in a very uh, biblically based way, he, he looks at this whole problem that one of our core problems as believers is that we are constantly tempted to see God as small and people as big. What I want to do is just uh, read a short passage out of this. Um, he says, if, if needing or fearing... Pe- he, he's proposing that we, we uh, fear people and it's a, it's a universal problem for all of us. Um, if this is in the case, he says, then we would expect Scripture to be filled with rich descriptions and in-depth teaching about it. And that is exactly what we find. One of the Bible's dominant question is, whom will you fear? And what he says by that in brackets, he says, when you fear these, it's actually you're being controlled by these people. Your fear, you're actually giving those, those people, those situations control over you. Scripture gives three basic reasons why we fear other people. Number one is we fear people because they can expose or humiliate us. Number two, we fear people because they can reject, ridicule or despise us. Or number three, we fear people because they can attack, oppress or threaten us. So these three reasons have one thing in common. They see people as bigger, that is more powerful and more significant than God. And out of that fear, uh, the, the fear that that creates in us, we give other people the power and the right to tell us how to feel, to how to think and what to do. He also goes on, I'll just read one little other uh, verse here, and he, he bases it on um, Jeremiah chapter uh, 17. Um, and what he's, actually I'll read the, the verse out of, you don't need to go there, but I'll read it to you. This is out of uh, Jeremiah 17. He says, Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who de- depends on flesh for his strength and whose heart turns away from the Lord. He will be like a bush in the wastelands. He will not see the prosperity when it comes. He will dwell in the parched places of the desert and in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is him. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes. Its leaves are always green. 
It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. You've probably read verses uh, similar to that. It, all, it comes back to Psalm, Psalm 1, isn't it? It's, it's very reminiscent of Psalm 1. And what uh, Welch says here, he says, The Old Testament indica- indicates that we stand at the crossroads between fear of others and fear of God. And so I, he, he, he makes this, and it's, it's become really clear to me, is that you know, daily we are tempted to fear people. You know, think about you know, when we're having conversations with people. We're, we're constantly thinking about what we will say and what we won't say because of what person, how they might respond to us, how they might see us. You know, think about it when, when, when we, we're going somewhere and we're going to put clothes on, we're, we're deciding what clothes to wear. We're, we're thinking about, well, if I go into this situation and I wear this, what are people going to think of me? Okay, again, fear of man becoming really big. Think about it when, uh, really, uh, when, you, when you meet strangers or even just talking, even people you know, we find it hard as people to hold a gaze you know, if you're looking into someone's eyes, we, we can't hold that gaze for a really long period of time, can we? we, we it's almost like as we're looking into people's eyes, if we, if we stare too long into other people's eyes, it's almost like they're seeing into us and seeing into our souls. And that, that gets scary, doesn't it? It's like, well, maybe they'll see something inside of me. Okay, and we've got to look away because the, the fear of man, okay? So the fear of man... Um, is something that's actually way bigger than what we really think. Um, think about you're in a situation and people are, you know, these are people you don't know and you've got uh, an opportunity to share the gospel and you've even got the Holy Spirit prompting you to talk about Jesus here. What happens in our hearts? You know, people start getting bigger and bigger and God seems to be shrinking into the backgrounds. You know, the fear of man can rise up. So um, this, this fear and this uh, giving credibility to people being big is, is a, constant, a constant thing for us. All right? And it's something that can only be overcome by seeing God as big having a bigger vision of, of who God is. And how do we get that? Well, we have to pray for it. We have to look into God's word as we've been doing and seeing how God has been big in the past and remembering it. So when in the book of Exodus, you know, the Israelites went through the Red Sea and they got through, what did God say to Moses? Remember this day. Keep coming back to it daily. Remember it. Meditate on it because I am big and Egypt and Pharaoh was small, all right? And it has to be a daily thing because we are so tempted in our world to see, you know, we, we, we see things going on in our world and the way our world's going with all sorts of things and we can sort of feel like, oh, we need to retreat and, you know, escape out of the world because things in the world seem to be getting bigger and bigger and people and things start getting bigger and, and what is God saying to us? No, no, no. I am bigger than the Roman Empire. I am bigger than Pharaoh. I am bigger than the demonic realm. I am bigger than Satan. I am bigger than whatever problem or issue 
or addiction or whatever it is you are wrestling with and struggling with, I am bigger. And that is the thing that we have to daily hold on to. And we hold on to it by meditating upon God's promises, seeing how he has come through in the past for God's people and has promised in the book of Revelation, Jesus wins. We've got the whole gamut of you know, uh, biblical history right through to the end game. We've got that. No other people in you know, the history of the world has had that. Okay, we are seeing what is unfolding and God is saying, trust me, have faith in me, I am bigger. No matter what your personal or corporate issues are, I am bigger. And it's something we have to daily remember because as, you know, if you're like me, start forgetting about things, issues come up, people start looking bigger um, and we forget. We have to daily be meditating upon his promises seeing where he has come through, seeing how he has delivered, seeing how he is way, way, way bigger than what we can dream of or conceive. Last verse. Last verse. End of Matthew. We touched on it a little bit earlier when we read, read through some of those verses. End of Matthew. Matthew chapter 28. Okay, and these are Jesus' last words to his disciples before he left them. Verse 16, so 28, Matthew 28, verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Okay, so some of them were seeing Jesus as big and they worshipped him. Some were seeing him as small. He was shrinking and things in their life were looking bigger. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore. So he's saying, This is who I am. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age and that's something we have to cling and cleave to that promise he will be with us he's instructed us to live in his image to reflect his glory and to be instruments of his gospel message in this world and that is a scary thing okay doesn't matter how often you share the gospel and you're thrown into a situation and the holy spirit's prompting you Talk about Jesus. Bring Jesus into this conversation and, you know, people start looking bigger and bigger and more powerful and we, God starts shrinking away. That's where we have to cling to Jesus, pray for wisdom, for clarity, to speak boldly and humbly into those situations and to trust God. He will come through. He will use me as an instrument and in that obedience, God will be worshipped and we just rest in what God might do with that in the, the people's lives that we have uh, just spoken into. So I, I hope that has spoken into your situations for you. You know, daily people will look big, okay, in our families, in our relatives, in our workplace, in, you know, wherever we are. 
We're constantly tempted and Satan wants us to view people as big and to view him as big, but we have to daily remind ourselves and pray for God to give us a bigger vision, a deeper vision, a weightier vision of who he is because he is way bigger. Even if we, if we conceive of him to be small, okay, he is not small, he is big and he's calling us to live lives that display him as big. Okay, and that's a daily challenge. Fear will rise up in our hearts. Okay, Satan will try to shut us down and to shrink and, um, by seeing people as big. So th- that's the question that Bi- the Bible asks us. Who will you fear in this life? Will you fear people or will you fear me? Okay, so we have to replace the fear of man with fear, holy fear of God. And that's a daily thing. It's not a once-off. It's a daily thing that we have to do. So please pray with me.